This is a Federal News Network podcast. As the federal government embarks on a project to modernize electronic rulemaking, agencies are looking for ways to deal with mass comments. Some agencies have been hit with millions of nearly identical ones and with fake comments coming from aliases or from even outside the United States. As part of our Federal Drive series on rulemaking modernization, we review some of the basics of notice and comment with the Director of Research at the Administrative Conference of the United States, Reeve Bull. Mr. Bull, good to have you on. Wonderful to be on. Thank you. Notice and comment is one of the basic processes for so many federal agencies and often not understood. Give us a sense of the genesis of it and why it's important. Notice and comment was really one of the major innovations of the Administrative Procedure Act, which was enacted in 1946 at the end of the New Deal period. And prior to the Administrative Procedure Act, um, a lot of the work that agencies did was done through adjudicative processes where agencies would decide individual cases a lot like the courts do. And rulemaking was envisioned as being more of a legislative process where agencies could promulgate rules that apply to a wide variety of different activities. And notice and comment was designed as a way for the agencies to basically gather information from the public. The idea was that the agencies don't necessarily have all of the relevant information themselves. Uh, So through a notice and comment process, agencies could gather the dispersed information throughout society. And the idea was that it would help them make better rules, that by using this information, using the data they receive from the outside, they can improve their rulemaking process. And that pretty much is how it works today. What are the legal requirements for dealing with comments that agencies have? So, excellent question. The relevant provision of the APA is uh, Section 553C, and its exact language is that the agencies have to consider, quote, the relevant matter presented. And then earlier in this section of the APA, it refers to data, views, or arguments. So, basically, The way the courts have interpreted this language, and there's a large body of case law that's emerged over the last several decades, Um, but the, the basic idea is that agencies are legally required to consider any relevant information contained in the comments. So, for instance, uh, let's say uh, the EPA is is, is looking to enact a new rule uh, that affects uh, companies in a particular way. And the companies could submit information to the EPA and say, this rule will affect us in the following ways. Um, And then the EPA is legally required to to consider that information if it's relevant. Um, And if it doesn't do so, if if an entity submits relevant information that the agency doesn't consider, uh, then they can file a lawsuit once once the uh, rule is promulgated, challenging the rule as arbitrary and capricious. Um, And if a court agrees, then the rule can actually be struck down on that basis. But can acknowledging a comment and saying, yes, thanks for that information, but it's going to not affect what we decide as a final rule, does that count as consideration? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the agency is not by any means required to take the course of action that's being recommended by a company or by uh, an NGO or 
a trade group or any other entity that's submitting information. All they have to do is, is show that they considered it, that they took it into account. And if they ultimately decide that this isn't relevant, or perhaps it is, but uh, we still think that the better course of action is what we were originally proposing. As long as they give a reasoned explanation, uh, then the court will uphold what the agency did. But the general principle is they have to respond. Agencies. Exactly. We're speaking with Reeve Bull. He's research director at the Administrative Conference of the United States. This idea of mass comments, it's nothing new. I mean, people used to flood the mailboxes with postcards, but now it's kind of accelerated in the electronic age. And what are some best practices to respond to, do you think, to mass comments? It's an excellent question, and it's one that actually we at the Administrative Conference uh, have done a little bit of work on. So back in uh, 2011, we issued a series of recommendations, partly on the mass comment issue. And from our perspective, the best practice is this. So, you know, you're absolutely right. Agencies you know, really since probably the, the uh, you know, draft or since the EPA was promulgated, but, but for a long time have received postcards, letters, um, and oftentimes they were so-called mass comment campaigns where an entity, environmental group or, or some other uh, NGO or trade group encouraged their members to submit comments to the agencies, and then people would submit virtually identical comments. And of course, when the internet arose and e-rulemaking emerged, you know, early in the 20, uh, 21st century, the problem became magnified because, you know, now it's a whole lot easier to submit these comments. You just go online to regulations.gov and, and submit a comment. And so the numbers have gone up and it's created some challenges for agencies. So what we recommended is that the agencies, if they get, you know, let's say 50,000 comments that are either identical or nearly identical, it's not uncommon that uh, a group will ask its members to submit a comment and we'll give them draft language, uh, but we'll encourage them to, you know, change a few words here and there. So the comment may be 95% identical, but not 100% identical. So what we recommended is that agencies can use software to actually identify when the comments are completely identical or nearly identical, and that they should certainly acknowledge that they've received these comments. They might even acknowledge the number of comments that were received as part of this process. But as far as the information that's contained in the comment is concerned, they all contain the same information because they're identical or nearly identical. So in that scenario, if it got 50,000 comments that say the same or nearly the same thing, they really only need to address it once. They simply need to acknowledge the information that's in the comment and say, you know, we got X number that said this, um, but they're not required to consider it to a greater extent than they otherwise would be simply because they got 50,000 comments as opposed to just one comment. Yeah, that's really a key point. It's not a vote or a plebiscite. And if it's the same information 50,000 times, in effect, they've only received the information once. Exactly. Do you find that agencies are sometimes maybe lured into thinking, well, there's a plebiscite here. Maybe we shouldn't do this, which is not really their responsibility. No, it's a very interesting point. And, you know, you, you, you've seen that, that there is this temptation, I think. And I think part of it is probably 
and maybe this is a good thing, that, you know, democratic norms are so ingrained in our culture, we're so used to thinking of our interactions with government as, as being voting, um, that I think there's definitely a perception on the part of the public, and, and probably to some extent on the part of, you know, some agency officials as well, that if they're getting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of comments that say something, and particularly if the comments point overwhelmingly in one direction or the other, if 99% of the comments favor the policy or 99% of the comments oppose the policy, I think there is this tendency to think that that that's relevant and that the agency should you know take that into account. The problem with that from my perspective, and I think it's both a legal issue and then just sort of a basic um, social science issue or policy issue, is that the comments are not necessarily representative of public opinion. Um, you know, when, when people uh, submit a comment, oftentimes the people who will take the trouble to do so are, are people who have strong views one way or the other. Even in those cases where the agency might get hundreds of thousands of comments and where 99% of them might say one thing or the other, that doesn't necessarily mean that 99% of people in the public at large feel that way. The agency really wanted to figure out what public opinion was. They could use an opinion poll or perhaps uh, create an advisory committee with a demographically representative group of citizens. Um, there are a number of other ways the agency, I think, could more accurately determine public opinion if indeed they want to take public opinion into account in a rule rather than tabulating the number of comments. And with respect to fake comments, something else the GSA is trying to learn to deal with and they're coming in in large numbers, can a fake comment also have information that's relevant, even though it came from a source maybe outside the United States or under some alias? So from my perspective, yes. And there, there's a tricky legal issue perhaps here in that if you look at the language of the APA, it refers to persons submitting comments. So a lot of these a lot of these so-called fake comments are generated by computer algorithms or so-called bots. And in the case of a bot comment, one could ask, is that a person submitting it or is it just a computer submitting it? And in that case, is the agency required to take into account? And I think you could argue it both ways. I mean, a person actually created the algorithm. So in some ways it is, you know, a person submitting a comment. But then there's also the separate question that you raise, and this is true, I think, for both bot-generated comments as well as fake comments, where somebody may write a comment and then put a false identity at the bottom of the comment and submit the information to the agency. And I think in both of those cases, it's certainly theoretically possible uh, that either the computer actually generates information that's relevant uh, to the agency, and I think particularly as computer algorithms evolve and become more sophisticated, it becomes more and more likely uh, that a computer could actually generate relevant information. And then similarly with the fraudulent comments, the, fr the comment may be fake, uh, but it may contain relevant information. So um, I, it's an open question, but I think a strong argument could be made that the agency should still take that information into account. Of course, you get into additional 
challenges or tricky issues where, to some extent, the identity of the commenter affects the amount of credibility or weight that it receives. So um, if I submit a comment and claim that I'm a doctor and, you know, that I have expertise in this area and that's not, in fact, true, then, you know, any factual claims that I make are subject to question, given that I've misrepresented who I am or what my expertise is. So I think it goes to the credibility uh, of the comment or, or the weight that the agency should give it. Um, but if, in fact, it is relevant information and the, the only thing that's inaccurate is the name at the bottom of the comment, um, then I think, you know, arguably the agency should still go ahead and take that information into account. So, in other words, as they review that e-rulemaking process, there's really no cut and dried answers on any of this, is there? That's correct. That's correct. We're sort of in a brave new world here to some extent. And I think it's only likely to get more and more challenging as we proceed, particularly as computer algorithms become more and more sophisticated. Um, We did a program here at the administrative conference about a year and a half ago on this very issue. And at that time, the perspective of a lot of the commenters was that Um, this really isn't that big of a problem. You know, if the agency gets a bot comment or a fraudulent comment, it's pretty easy to identify uh, that it's illegitimate um, and the agency can then discount it accordingly. But it sounds like in the last year and a half even, um, the technologies have become a lot more sophisticated. Uh, There was recently a research paper written on so-called deep fake comments uh, where basically a a person designed an algorithm to write fake comments and uh, the comments were virtually impossible to distinguish from legitimate comments. So I think this is only likely to become more and more important as time proceeds. And there are a lot of, of challenging issues agencies are going to have to grapple with. Reeve Bull is Research Director at the Administrative Conference of the United States. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you. Tomorrow, we'll hear from George Washington University poli-sci professor Steve Bala on how the EPA deals with mass comments. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.